Hi, I'm John. Hi, I'm Olivia. And uh, I, I'm your guest, uh, Aaron Waltke. And this week, we've watched The Savage Curtain, and now we're going to argue about whether it's going to make us quit Star Trek. I am so distraught. My memory of this episode was that it was like, I remember in 2018, the first time I'd watched any Star Trek, thinking <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's here now. This is hilarious. I love this crazy show. It was yeah. the beginning of it all. I hadn't seen any other series, any other films. Mm-hmm. And that's the happy memory I had of this episode. <laughs> Watching it, trauma, trauma, racism, trauma. Yeah, it's it, it's <laughs> a truly weird episode. And I think it, in some ways it's a product of its time. I think in some ways it's a, a product of the Star Trek creators kind of obsession with uh, sort of American and world history. Why, why was Lincoln Brown? No, we can't even begin that. (laughs) No, I think we have to. We have to start off with, why do they brown Lincoln up from Act 3 onwards? He's fine. But no, not even for all of Act 3. Because when he, when later on in Act 3, he's no longer brown. (laughs) I think it was maybe, I had had a guess, which is, I think it's the the makeup uh, at the time. This was season three Star Trek. So their budget had been sort of slashed. And, and I don't think that makeup was designed for HD at all. And I think maybe when you're shooting on really low res or broadcasting on really low res TVs, it, it's, it doesn't look as bad as it does, but it um, looks pretty rough to look at. What's his name? Lee Walgreen is wearing old age makeup. Mm-hmm. And it looks like old age makeup for the first half. And that now it's just brown. No, it, it definitely takes a turn. And I just, I was... So I think it's definitely, I do agree with you, it's definitely the cameras, but I also think somebody I, put a thick layer on that day. When they no, no. If it, there's a scene where he's, his hand, his arm is darker than my arm, okay? That's how bad it gets. And then it's not like that anymore. I don't it, know what it, happened. It almost feels like they ran out of makeup and then were like, well, we could just use the makeup for, for Kalis. Yeah, that's what I think happened. They were like, well, we have to, we have to use it up. You know, we're going to restart. Got, we've got three episodes of this show left to film. We, we can't buy anything new now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you watched this very early on, Olivia. I think I watched this once when I was about 16 and I have a distinct memory of my dad coming in, looking at it and going, Oh, this is the Lincoln one. And then walking out the room. Smart man. <laughs> I, think, I think that was the best thing you could have done. Uh, when did you first watch this, Aaron? Uh, I first watched this, believe it or not, uh, when I was probably in grade school because my, my parents, you know, uh, were both working uh, a lot. So, you know, over the summer uh, when I didn't have school, they kind of took me to my aunt's house, but my aunt also sometimes worked or, you know, had chores to do. So she would just plop me down in front of and turn the TV and turn on PBS thinking it would be educational. Uh, and then uh, they, but they, sh- uh, over the summers, they showed like marathon original series uh, runs. And so I saw so much stuff that it blew my mind as a kid and was very confusing. And this was definitely one of them. Like I, for a long time, you know, before I revisited T- TOS as a, teenager i actually thought it was like a fever dream like i i was like oh that there was uh, there wasn't actually an episode where just abraham lincoln appears floating in space is there um and then sure enough i kind of like went back and uh, and revisited and i was like wow they were really really they really went for the fences weren't they i think the best part of the lincoln in space is there's not like it's not a you know Last gasping. This was one of the episodes in Gene's pitch book. Of course, like it when was. Gene was pitching this show, this was there alongside the Omega Glory, a private little war, Spectre of a Gun, and the Cage, along with the Hitler episode, which they never did. I actually didn't. I didn't know that that this was one of his original pitch episodes. This is in wow. Star Trek is, but I think wow. it was called. Um, it was called Mr. Um, Mr. President. No, because it was not originally going to be um, Lincoln. It was oh. originally going to, it was originally called Mr. Socrates. It was going to be Socrates oh. instead of Lincoln. That's far less compelling to the American audience. Yes, that's, why they, <laughs> that's mainly that. why they changed yeah, that, like, I, I can't imagine a whole episode of just like a, a grumpy old old Greek man just saying, true knowledge is knowing that you know nothing. I mean, that, <laughs> fits, with, that fits with early Captain Pike, to be honest. Uh, yeah, that's true. But... <laughs> Yeah, it's a very, 
I'm not surprised. I've seen this about like eight or nine. I would have assumed within about three years, I've assumed I made it up. Yeah. It, and that's I, what I assume. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just remember seeing that. And then I also remember patterns of force like deeply scarred me uh, as a kid. That was another episode where I was just like, I just couldn't fathom, you know, that they, that they did that. I but, think it's important to make the big swings. Yes. Otherwise you don't get the big hits, but then you end up with the big misses. Yeah. Which is what we do here, of course. <laughs> yeah, because you have to remember, this was the 60s where America, you know, I, I, it was a different place. I'm unfortunately, not as different as you might hope, but, but there, are, there are things that were kind of in the zeitgeist, you know, the, the, the democratic riots had, was like literally going to happen next year. You know, we were in the throes of Vietnam. Civil rights had only just passed and it was very controversial with half the country. You know, it was this sort of like weird... Uh, sort of flashpoint in American geopolitics. And so the fact that that they were touching on some of these subjects at all was a bold swing. It just happens to be that it doesn't age well. And I think even maybe in the context of the show, it, it feels a little uh, like ham-fisted is the most forgivable way to say it and just inelegant and uh, uncomfortable is the worst. I think it's uh, one of our previous guests once made the point that if something hasn't aged, if something has aged well and hasn't aged badly, it's not that thing's problem, it's our problem. Yeah. You know, if a piece of media hasn't aged well, it's a sign that we haven't moved far enough. Yeah, I or suppose. that piece of media was very exceptional. Yeah. And that's, and that's fine when people, when the fans can accept that that particular version <laughs> of events or that particular moral wasn't as good as it could be and is no, no longer up to date. If the fans can't accept that, that's where we get issues. Yeah, I feel like they tried to make some sort of teachable moments in this and none of them, I, I struggled even as a human adult, like trying to understand what I was supposed to take away from some of the stuff that was in here. Um, uh, we best get into it, but I sort of, with the trivia, I think what they're trying to do makes more sense, but it's also, they killed the point of it yeah. to get more, to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think it's best to, um, I think we should get into space linger before Olivia loses it. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, um, well, should I lead us in? Because in my notes at the beginning, I'm so happy that I'm watching this episode <laughs> and then it takes a turn. And that's when I'm going to hand it off to you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so I, they're on the bridge, they're orbiting a planet, they're, they're seeing there's life forms on the surface, <laughs> there's a civilization. It's a classic Trek episode. And but Bones says that the surface is molten lava, which great, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> and only when they're about to leave are they scanned aggressively. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we get this ominous glowing orb on the middle of the view screen. I am overjoyed. I am so happy for this moment. We see the great emancipator, Space Lincoln, before us. You just call um, him the great emancipator. <laughs> And um, yeah, so the reaction from the bridge crew is just like kind of mild shock. They don't really care. Yeah, it's, it's a, it was more understated than you would think. <laughs> I feel like if I saw Lincoln, if I was walking in the street and a like floating Lincoln in a chair came walking <laughs> towards me, I feel like I would only have be capable of mild shock. <laughs> like, I feel like I might like go like, did everyone else see that? But if I know everyone else has seen it, I would just be like, I, I don't know. Applause? Like, How do you react? You're right. I suppose it's almost like like literal traumatic shock where you where you your brain shuts down because you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what if, Olivia, what if you're walking on the street and suddenly Winston Churchill asked you for the time? Well, I well, I was at DST and Boris Johnson was walking around. So, uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> he has such an attitude when he arrives as well, which I already respect. He's like, don't you know who I am, bitch? Um, and he knows Kirk. <laughs> That's the crazy part, too. Yeah, because this is Kirk's dream to be known by this guy. And Spock finds it fascinating, which is just me. It's a great beginning. It's a great start. Yeah. And I'm really way, optimistic about where it was. By going. the way, I, I, I made a note of this when I was rewatching it. When, uh, when Spock says, you know, his classic, fascinating, Abraham Lincoln then replies, I have been called many, I've been described in many ways, Mr. Spock, but never with that word. And isn't that kind of a self burn on Lincoln? <laughs> Lincoln was very. Lincoln did, had a lot of self burns on his plate. <laughs> yeah, like he was. He was a person who had a lot of time going. Everybody says I'm shit at my job, <laughs> but I'm president, so fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like no one ever described Lincoln as fascinating. Okay, if Scott yeah. called me fascinating, I would have confidence for the rest of my life. Ultimate, one hundred percent. Absolutely. But anyway, 
um, so Kirk is just mildly confused and just trying to check if he's real. And Abraham Lincoln's response is essentially, try me, bitch. I'm right here. <laughs> yeah, he just um, keeps saying, I, I think he says it, I counted like four or five times through the episode. I know it may seem unusual, but I, I swear to you, I am the real Abraham Lincoln. And <laughs> Did he get quantum leaped from the Ford Theater? That would have been a really funny episode if he just got quantum leaped from Ford Theater. Oh, sort of like where, where they where they brought uh, Mark Twain aboard the Enterprise and yeah. Times Arrow. Oh, like that that actually would have been a better twist, I think, than he was, than revealing that Abraham Lincoln was just a mud monster made out of Kirk's fever dreams. I mean, say what you want about dodgy TMS stuff. Kirk's hero being Lincoln is about the most socially acceptable hero he could have picked. <laughs> That's true. In 1969 onwards. Like, even now we know the historical opinions on Lincoln as a person have become a lot more nuanced. He is still generally a person who had good intentions and followed through on them. You know, like, they could have picked fucking Patton. Yeah, it's true. Which would have been terrible. Or, or Socrates, know. for that matter. Yeah, there's a long list of people I'm glad they didn't. Well, and they sort of record a small change on the surface, which is the entire surface suddenly becoming habitable from being molten lava, which yeah. I regard as quite significant, but opinions, <laughs> yeah. opinions differ. Um, and they get into their Sunday vest, which I love. They're in their dress uniforms. The gold is out. I love it. Scotty, Scotty has a kilt. a kilt. With what I presume is Starfleet tartan. I don't know. It's, it's not a yeah. real tartan. I, I like that Scott, Scotty's um, socks are also red shirt red. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, and just goes to show you that I think it's back then, and you know, you, it's reflected also in the first couple of seasons of TNG, you know, um, you know, they were all about being fashion forward and just being experimental and, you know. They were. William West Sykes, menace and genius. I will, <laughs> yes, actually, I was going to say I only accept the genius, but then I remembered some things. You, Most... remember, the, you remember the double-sided tape? But yeah, I like that they're being respectful boys for the president and they're really taking it very well. So they are pointing phases at him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. the whistles out. It's a trade-off. Yeah, I do like that in TOS we have like an actual boat swing whistle and then by Wrath of Calm we have a weird mechanical thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, times change. Uh, <laughs> 20 years, we, we get they up the budget, we get a special one. Yeah. The technology, we finally caught up with our dreams. Uh, but no, it was that, yeah, that section, I, 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 it had been, again, it had been a while since I watched the episode. And when the drums started playing, like the military drums and then the fanfare as he's stepping off it, I was like, oh, wow, like whoever composed like the, the background score of this really went all out. And then they reveal they were actually playing it in the room on a tape, which I was like, wait, what? Since when is that a thing that happens in Star Trek? And the guy who was floating on a chair in space cannot fathom tape music, which is just the greatest. <laughs> Yeah, I do like I do like the line Star, starships on patrol do not carry a ceremonial bag. It's like oh well, well that's a massive failure. <laughs> yeah, you I feel like task all the time. Surely you can carry a ceremonial bag. Yeah, Chekhov has had like four different station duties over the course of three seasons. Mister Leslie, Mister Leslie has literally worked every single position on the bridge. I'm sure he knows how to play a trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they corrected by TNG. I feel like th- th- we never got to see it, but but Riker absolutely that trombone had a ceremonial purpose. Yeah, every every time a dignity comes aboard, Picard has to tell him not to play the Fed the national anthem. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I miss that. I wish that they had that just random fanfare play whenever <laughs> that important person came on board the Enterprise. But I mean, it's one of these things that you know, as somebody who knows who is a nerd and knows these things on actual navy ships when anyone above the rank of captain comes aboard you're meant to pipe them on yeah like and they don't do that across the world star trek i wish they did <laughs> well like, unless you're unless the 16th president of the united states is arriving and then you yes know. of course it's, it's in the starfleet regulations if lincoln beams aboard you do the full ceremony yeah it's, it's subsection a paragraph b it's always a subsection a paragraph b no one knows what's in subsection a paragraph a <laughs> so Everything, yeah, got- everything before the moment that's coming is was great. I was having a beautiful time. But then we get there, then they go on a tour of the ship, and we uh, we have an interaction with her and Lincoln. Hey, John, want to take it away? <laughs> I don't know. So Uhura comes to give Kirk a report, and Lincoln calls. I'm not going to say what Lincoln called her because it's the 21st century, and I don't have to. You can, if you don't know, you can go and look the clip up on YouTube. I had no memory of it, and I was. I, don't, it's it's just, I, had, I had blacked it out too, to be honest. Like I, yeah. it's 
It is, it is a peak Gene's vision scene that perhaps meant a lot in the year 1969 to a certain people, yeah. but has aged badly. And I think the reason it's aged badly is that it was meant to be in bad, that Lincoln saying what he said was meant to be in bad taste at the time. Yeah, they, he recognizes that it's an issue. Yeah. 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 It was weird that he said it and then immediately said like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm like, then why did you say it in the first place? Yeah. And then and then the, then they spend about 30 seconds of everyone saying, don't worry about it. We don't we don't care about, you know, uh, race. And instead, we celebrate our differences in the future, which yeah. that's not the worst sentiment, but it feels like the lead in so overshadows it. I think it's the fact that when they say, oh, we don't fear words anymore. It's so dismissive. and Yeah, it felt idealistic to the point of unrealism and ignoring a lot of the issues at hand. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also the sort of thing, you know, you can't really have a go like, oh, I don't even know what the word means. Because obviously it's the 1960s. You can't have a sort of go, that word has literally no meaning to me. I don't understand how it could be offensive. But you can't also, if you want to maintain the sort of Jean's vision future ideal, you can't go for her being caught out and offended by it. Yeah, that was what fighting racism was, maybe for the 60s. But now, you know, we like to be more actively anti-racist, not just pretending that an issue doesn't exist or being blind to it. Yeah, and I think kind that's... Of where that was getting at. That's what really stands out, I think, to me, is just it, it feels like it's skipped 10 really important steps because uh, like and maybe maybe it's just a pro- because at the time they didn't know where we were, you know, how things were going to play out. But I, I can't really use that as a blanket excuse. It just feels like, I don't know, some people that didn't know a lot about these subjects trying to do something and missing really badly. I mean, it's it's the sort of. In, you know, as you said, the year after civil rights, the aspirates of rights, like the aspirationality of a world where somebody would not, where people would not consider words like that to be a, a pejorative term in any way, to not have political power is incredibly aspirational. But as you said, Olivia, how we deal with words like that, the fact that they still have power and people who use them still have power 50 60 years on from the Civil Rights Act yeah. means that how we deal with it has changed and how we as- the aspirationality we have has changed. Yeah, and the sentiment and that failure of the episode in that regard was not surprising. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's it's in line with like, um, gosh, what's the... Let that one? be your last Yeah, it's in line with let, there be, let that be your last battlefield, which was also lacking in... Yeah, I think I, I think we talked about it when we did it, but I think a lot about the fact that people thought let that be your last battlefield was bad at the time. I think a lot yeah. of the people Gene worked with at the time were like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, I, I hesitate to say it came from a good place, but I think it, there, it just came from a naive place, but no excuse to be that naive. So I think that's why it's hard to really give it just a free pass to say, oh, they didn't know any better. Because, I mean, they surely did. They just didn't want to acknowledge it, you know, as part of that kind of, uh, you know, fear, I suppose, of that you want to address the issues, but you don't actually want to address them. And I think that's maybe what it bothers me is watching that scene as a 21st century viewer. Now that, you know, we're kind of openly talking about a lot of these things it feels like it kind of taps into a reason why we're still here dealing with these things in the first place is because it's easy to, to just say, oh, we solved racism. And I, I don't, and we clearly have not, but there's a lot of people in the population that want to believe that. And, you know, it's, there's work to be done that this, that, that interaction doesn't feel like it totally addresses. I, and I, you see, you say that, I just remember the last line for this episode, which we'll get to, which is essentially that sentence. Honestly, from this point onwards, I start blacking out as I'm watching the episode. I'm like, I'm done. Shall I? <laughs> Let's go. Anyway, the funny bit that's also overlooked too is that Uhura's message is that Scotty has been waiting for Kirk for two hours in the briefing room. <laughs> two hours? Why? What, what was going on there? He's carried Lincoln around. He oh. lost track of time. So, yeah, I, I guess Lincoln was like really fascinated with how the plasma coils work. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think he probably had to explain like reconstruction and then the Gilded Age and then Jim Crow. To him. <laughs> it's like, so, so did, just... did the slaves get free? <sighs> so I think you're you saying. Like... Sit down, Mr. Lincoln. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> I, I think two hours is about enough time to explain the entire failure of reconstruction of the Gilded Age and the revivalist movement and Jim Crow. Why were they showing this random entity all there? Just from a security um, perspective. That's an excellent question that I don't know if is ever fully resolved. They do it all the they, time, they, they, they try. They, they, I think the closest they get in the episode of explaining why Kirk is being so permissive uh, with this uh, entity that everyone patently knows is not Abraham Lincoln and is actively trying to deceive them is Kirk was like, I think he has a speech just before they beam down uh, when they're all like, you want to just, you want to go down to this planet with this thing that's definitely not Lincoln just because it invited you. And he, and you know, it, like it's literally, it could be molten lava. Like, and they say it multiple times. Like we're going to probably beam you into a pit of molten you could lava. You burn to death. <laughs> and you will, you will burn to death. And Kirk says, uh, our mission as Starfleet is to seek out new life and make make contact with them. And so, and I like Lincoln, so. I think yeah. Spock makes a more important point, which is that if he wanted to destroy us, he had done it by now. But that feels like, like it, a leap it, in logic to, in my well, mind. No, because I feel like he has a point, which is that if you could, if you could turn molten lava into Northern California and create, link, and, and create Lincoln in an armchair and split in the middle of space, I feel like if you wanted to destroy the Enterprise, you could do it. Yes, but also I feel like it also presumes that, you know, alien life thinks that way. It could be that they're just toying with their enemies. <laughs> you know, it yeah. could be that they yeah. that they're they have plans to destroy, you know, the 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 first officer and the captain and then mount invasion. Like there's so many things that they could be planning. Uh, but Kirk is basically just like I like Lincoln, so if you disagree, you're you're insubordinate. I do love that conversation because McCoy and Scotty are like, "This is insane. These people have gone insane." And Scotty goes, "You know, we know Lincoln died 300 years ago on a planet that way." And then Spock goes, "I think you'll find it's that way." I know that's. And Scotty just looks at him like, "What the fuck is your problem?" I swear the camera lingers on Scotty making that meme face of that that woman who tried something. We, she she wasn't sure if she liked it or not, or she just Scotty's kind of like making a disgusted know? face and then a confused but... face, and it's like 10, <laughs> 10 seconds of him doing that. It's just like I don't like that spot goes that way. And Scotty's like, I was I was being like he's gonna be thinking about objecting and then realizing <laughs> how the fuck did he figure out that out? <laughs> so then they decide to beam down to the planet oh. and um they said they're going to beam down immediately. And then the next scene, they've changed their clothes. Well, Scott, Kirk does say we've changed the standard uniforms. And then, okay. yeah. I mean, they're allowed to get changed. You don't want to get your ceremony, your number one dressed dirty. I mean, <laughs> I would love to have seen that fashion the entire episode. It would be the only saving grace. <laughs> um, yeah, they're really fine and chill going into a pool of lava. That's great. But unfortunately, they beam down to a soundstage in the back of the Desilu lot. As always, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, basically a, a, a rock melts, and oh, do we meet? Do we meet Sirak first? Oh no, you're right. I think they do we meet Sirak first, and uh, he's dressed yeah. exceptionally. Please note that father of all Vulcans. <laughs> who um, I do like the line where he's like, "Ah, humans, we haven't met, but I'm pleased to see we are different." Yeah, that's a bit of Gene's vision I like. Yeah. Not the sex bit, just this bit. Yeah, and I, and I also liked, you know, Sirach kind of dropping one of his classic Vulcan sort of aphorisms, like, you know, perhaps the uh, the sum of both of us shall be greater than their parts. You know, I, I, I thought that was kind of a nice little kind of yeah. It's thing nice that... when it's the overarching theme, but when they try and explain the details of how we get there, we just, we have to <laughs> pretend not to see it. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's the constant problem with Star Trek is that, as is well acknowledged, Gene Roddenberry didn't want to talk about how exactly you get from A to B because they were meant to be to an American audience that socialism was perfectly sensible. And also that perhaps liking other people was a good thing. It's hard for American, it's hard for American audiences in 1960 to accept that. You know, fuck you, McCarthy. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Um, but yeah I also then, thought, it was, I thought it was kind of interesting well, just that Spock was emotional upon seeing Sirach. Like he like he says, like Sirach, please forgive me. I, I emotion betrayed on my face upon seeing you. Um, and I was just, I, you know, because there aren't that many moments where Spock gets emotional without being, you know, under the hypnosis from a space god or something. And the fact that he he actually got emotional seeing sort of like the founding father of of Vulcan philosophy was kind of cool. I thought that was a nice little moment. Even at, at, as he was saying, you are not Sirach. 
you know, live long and prosper image of Ciroc. And then, and then Ciroc was just sort of like, okay, I'll, I'll take that, I guess. Like, is this like canonical confirmation that Spock holds Kirk and Ciroc in the same high level? He, he freaks out and gets emotional about Kirk and he freaks out and gets emotional about Ciroc. They are yeah. held in the highest order. He has his own little pantheon of like the stuff he geeks out about. So yeah, then you're right. A rock turns into uh, a person, an Excalibur. <laughs> and here we basically get the only sense of the original gist of the plot, which is that he talks about millions of our people are watching this to, and following the play. It was an attempt. It was an attempt to pastiche like sensational television. That's what this was. Is this not the same as the what is it? Is it the game of Trus- uh Triskelion? That yeah, one. it's a little bit <laughs> of a, a recycling of that that idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- it, the 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 I the concept of the episode, like I honestly, it's one of those things that's like so out there that like e- good or bad, I I can't stop thinking about it. Of of we are we are an alien race that it see is profoundly powerful, like probably more powerful than anything this the Federation has within their numbers. Uh, but we still don't understand the concepts of good and evil. And so in order to find out which philosophy is better for society, we're going to have you try to murder each other by throwing sticks at, <laughs> at each other. Which essentially uh, is further proof that they do not understand good or evil. It's <laughs> true. But, but for that to be like a, which is more powerful of a, of, a, of sort of a philosophical idea structure is like, let's just see what they do and we just give them rocks and sticks and who, who kills the other. <laughs> it's sort of, uh, it's so... <laughs> Truly alien, I'll give them that. Who do we have on the side of evil? We have um, Colonel Green, a genocidal maniac from the 21st century. From the early and 21st century. Early 21st century. Genghis <laughs> Khan, a genocidal maniac from the 12th century. Zora, an unidentified genocidal maniac. And Kalos the Unforgettable, a person who got browned up. Honestly. Like, <laughs> His every ears didn't scene. get browned up. Every scene was an assault on my senses. The, the best part of Kalos is that his face has all this makeup on him, but his ears are still white. I think also the first time he speaks in, in the episode, I like, again, it had been so long since I've seen the episode. He, it, I actually had to like stop and pause for a second because he's speaking with a thick Oklahoman accent. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you, maybe in Britain you didn't pick up on that, but it, basically it's like a dude who probably was like hanging out at the local dive bar came down, <laughs> came down and like, oh, I get speaking lines, cool. It, oh, it, oh, it's it's from the Midwest. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, lost my job at Walmart, but now I'm the founder of the Klingon Empire. It's great. So I mean, it, you know, my note here on Act Three is they're talking about the battle of the greatest. He was good. It's like no Hitler, you know. There was no Hitler. You- well, I, there was, let's face it, there was definitely a conversation about who should we get as the world's greatest evil about where they went, should we do Hitler? Oh, there was definitely a conversation in that writer's room where they went, should we do Hitler? But then I feel like they said we already did Hitler with patterns of force. So they were like, they didn't want to repeat themselves. Yeah, they didn't actually have Hitler. But I guess it was a question of, do we get two Jewish actors to fight Hitler? <laughs> and the answer was conclusive. Or... Do we actually put Hitler on television in the 1960s? I mean, how much Nazism content did they want in Star Trek? Yeah. I will I, I am curious though, if is this the first instance, and I haven't gone back and checked, of that classic Star Trek trope where they list familiar, familiar, and then like two wild alien things? No. Um no, it isn't, because um in I think it's in court martial. Oh, okay. Olivia's favorite lawyer, Samuel T. Cogley, okay. goes um, Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the fundamental art, the fundamental principles, declaration of the Martian colonies. There you go. Okay, yeah. so it was, I think it that's was, the first time you go. It was familiar, a pattern familiar. established, and this is a continuation of that. Tradition. Yeah, you get it. Then I think there's another version of it in season two, and I think this is a lot. This is the only one in season three. But I know that the first, I think the first time it shows up is no. There's another one where Kirk talks about um, Genghis Khan, Hitler, Lee Kwan. We don't know who Lee Kwan is. Hmm. Was that no? Is that Picard? That might be Picard in. Oh, in TNG. 
but it feels like a glaring one because we literally have, you know, Sirach and Abraham Lincoln and Genghis Khan, and then suddenly it's the so rest jarring. are just. Oh, yeah, Lee Kwan is, is in Patterns of Force, and then Garth of Isar mentions him alongside Alexander Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, and Crotus, who is, um, <laughs> according to one of the RPGs, a Andorian dictator. Okay. Oh, no. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I did. I will say, though, as I was watching, you know, I did become very curious about that sort of what a geneticist or whatever. That, yeah, Zora. That, like Zora, because they she I don't think she has a single speaking line in the entire episode. She's just kind of there scowling with her really intense eyebrows uh, the whole time and and just kind of peering around corners, which yeah. feels ironic for someone who who basically is infamous for doing science and, and experimenting on DNA that she's literally just kind of around and, and again, throwing rocks at people. Yeah, let's figure out what Tiburon. It feels yeah. like another random Roman reference that Roddenberry was sort of uh, uh, obsessed with, you know, with the Romulans and-, and... So It's mentioned in um, Enterprise. That's, a, that's um, in the episode where Flops gets kidnapped. And also it was a former home of Dr. Severin from uh, The Way to Eden. So yeah, Dr. Severin okay. oh in Way to Eden is a Tiburonian. Zora did experiments on subject peoples on the planet that Dr. Severin. I will, say when. That, <laughs> I will say there is the, the, the appearance in Enterprise is a little bit of nice continuity to this because the that episode of Enterprise that Tiburon has mentioned is the episode that's all about them doing genetic experimentation yeah. and, uh, with, with the Klingon augment virus. And so Dr. Flox is like, I attended a genetics conference on Tiburon. So like it does connect, it, it, you know, they're trying to, you know, find ways to make this stuff relevant, I guess. Um, I really hope we get to do way to, way to eat this up because that's such a fucking mental episode. I, that's, I really did quit to it for that. Oh, dear. <laughs> Anyway, so the Scalpers like, yeah, now you have to fight evil. Um, go do that. So Colonel Green is basically like, why don't we join forces? And Kirk's like, what you know in history for attacking people while negotiating in them with them? And Colonel Green essentially goes, yes, and then immediately attacks it. Comedic genius. <laughs> I just like this, I just like that Kirk clearly knows that Colonel Green is going to attack him, but chooses not to act on that knowledge. I, yeah. I love. Look, these are the good moments. I would love to focus on the absurdities. This is why I was ready to defend this episode. I was like, this is going to be another Spock's brain or TNG's master to me. These episodes I describe as art. <laughs> it's just going to be a funny, absurd episode. Yeah, he. I, well, I feel like Kirk just really wanted to call him out. I feel like that was why that happened. He wanted to say like, ha ha, you know, I know that you know that I know. Yeah, this is, Kirk is me meeting any historical person. Like, even if I knew Churchill was about to beat my ass, I would call him out and stuff. Oh. I don't know. Like, we all know you used to take cabinet meetings in your bathtub, you twat. <laughs> anyway, they we they fight, and we get to watch Lincoln beat Kalos's ass, which is fun. And then when they beat off, when they fight off the um, evil people, the Excalibur's like, why would you fight? You get to be our teacher. And Kurt's like, we're not going to fight for you. And the Excalibur's like, oh, I see. You need motivation. I'm going to kill your crew. Which I feel like maybe muddies the experiment if you're doing that with one half, but not the other. Um, yeah, I've, it's like, I mean, if you're on the balance, you'd put two Klingons on, or Romulans on the other side, but I guess it didn't have that budget. Yeah. You still the shoe polish for Kalos, I don't know. I mean, every like om omniscient sort of being in Star Trek is like a annoying child like Trelane, Q they all just don't they're not really quite logical <laughs> no it's true they're they're just they're lot their uh, understanding is beyond our comprehension I suppose um they're like incredible they're like the super rich <laughs> the rules don't apply um but yeah it's I, what I thought once one thing I thought was interesting that came out of that though was the kind of the philosophical uh, trolley problem that that uh, that they then discuss afterwards with Sirach when Sirach is like I am a pacifist through and through I don't I will not fight uh, and then but then they point out to Sirach uh, well if you don't fight literally hundreds of people will die if you don't do something and Sirach basically says yeah but I don't want to <laughs> and and uh, it's like I may go and die trying to be peaceful but uh, 
but at least, and then you can do whatever you want, which, you know, I don't know if that's the right answer. It feels like I, I, I don't, I don't begrudge him trying to, you know, sue for peace or what have you. I think that's a worthy attempt, but his attitude of like, yeah, I'm prop, this is probably going to fail and I'm going to die, but at least I'll have my moral high ground feels like kind of muddies the waters on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one because we're not really meant to think that Sirak is making a bad decision. We're not, we're just not meant to think he's making the right one. I mean, that's yeah. how all pessimism seems in the face of any real dilemma. Yeah, which I, I don't know if that was, uh, which made me to start to think of like, that was maybe the moral of this episode as I was rewatching it of like, oh, like some good things are worth fighting for, but it's about your intent and, and the cause you're fighting for. But then at the end, they kind of, it feels like they make a point of saying, no, good and evil are the same and it doesn't matter. Um, oh, I, I mean, I think we'll get to that. I think the point with that is that it's the Escalibans mis- completely misunderstanding the point. Right. Which is that they don't, they haven't learned to leave. And that's why like, Kirk is frustrated. It's you know, like the he's... early Odo not knowing the difference between justice and order dilemma. Well, well I, think, I think the Odo not knowing the difference between justice and order is the fact that he was written by about 400 different people in the 70s. And the 70s. <laughs> Right. It's like it's hard to create a coherent character when you have you've got like ev- every single episode of a different person. It was accidentally a fascist. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah. Not even a joke, it just does. <laughs> anyway, so Sirak. So Sirak gets attacked, we hear his screams, and we get the most bizarre musical cue. It's like a, it's like Batman, it's like 1960s Batman musical cue. I don't recall, but I'm ready to defend it. <laughs> it was like it was vibey, but it was just not like any of the other music in the episode. Yeah, easier the better. Talking about vibey though, I did anyone else notice that whenever um, the the sort of rock monster uh, w- who was sort of the the master of ceremonies of all this, whenever he did sort of anything, he did that sort of like flourish click with his claws, like come here, <laughs> click click, like like, like almost like a yas queen kind of a thing. <laughs> And, I'm ready and to it, go back and stand it. Like I've changed it was, my mind. It's, it's pretty amazing, actually. That's that's actually if I forgot to mention, that's how he summons history's greatest monsters. And he's like, I think you'll find that uh, the circumstances will change. And he goes click click, and then they they kind of all they kind of shuffle out at that point. They do sort of waltz out like a like a sort of chorus. Yeah, and it's he's like two castanets just kind of doing all this stuff. I I to this day I still don't know if this is a good or bad alien design. <laughs> I think it's an inventive alien design. Yeah, it, it's a blob. <laughs> he's got, he's got, he's got nice eyes. I like the. Yeah, I think the light up eyes kind of like put me right on the razor's edge of like, do I like this or not? And the fact that he's always steaming, like that's quite good. It's good. It also kind of makes him look like a steaming pile of dog dookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's but they they justify it in the episode. They they basically say this is a molten rock planet that just happens to have these super powerful beings on it. Um, I just realized I said it was a blob of derogatory, and I just like to apologize to Murph in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh it's okay, it's okay, Olivia. Murph doesn't listen to the podcast. He's not good with long audio formats. He doesn't. He listens to it in chunks. So if you get to him in time. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, so Surak's getting the tag and they're trying to debate the ethics of helping him. At this point, Lincoln is now brown. Yeah. Why is he brown? I think we had I, this discussion at the beginning, but once yeah. again, why is he brown? <laughs> it's a whole other level. I don't know why it happened. I don't think there can be a reason. I think they just wanted to use up some paint. It yeah, it felt like a makeup error. Like they it, just didn't have the right concealer or something. They, well, they put it on his hand. They put it on his arm. It was a lot. Because look, yeah. he's, he's wearing old age makeup. Yeah. Did they run out of old age makeup? Like we could just use the, the Kalis, the boot polish? We can only wonder in fear. Um, it's really odd because it's not like Lincoln was ever described in the past as being dark skinned. Yeah. No. When, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, is he going to maybe turn into a rock? Like, is that what's happening? It's a transition. Maybe that's the explanation because he was, in fact, made out of the same dookie rock as the other guys. So it, it could, maybe that's, it was a hint of, of things to come. Yeah, but uh, it feels very much, if they were doing that, why did you then cut the line where they said that? Oh my God. This is why there's no, there's no hope in inquiring in this. <laughs> we will not have peace in our time. We will not. <laughs> we do get action Lincoln, because he's like, you know, I wasn't backwards, but I do know how to hunt stuff. Which, like, yeah, 
Lincoln content. Lincoln was a backwoods the history nerds out there. Yeah, that, John. that was what I was starting to think. Like, I feel like someone on the writing staff just read a Lincoln biography and for this I episode. Think one had just come out. Actually. Yeah, and so they were reading it and like, ooh, uh, uh, here's all the Lincoln facts we can pepper in throughout this episode. And it was, you know, a century, literally just a century old from the Civil War. Yeah, so, I did, there was one spot though where like he's like like out of nowhere, uh, Lincoln is like, uh, Kirk, do you drink? Almost like almost like it's a setup for a joke, and he's like, uh, if the occasion arises, why? And he's like, you remind me of another great general. Uh, perhaps you've heard of him, General Grant, <laughs> and Uncon- unconditional surrender, Grant. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Kirk was like so moved by that, like he actually he he doesn't he he's like chuffed twice, like he goes, oh, and then yeah. it, it paused and he goes. <laughs> yes, I mean, Lincoln it. did win. The, I mean, Grant did basically win the Civil War on the field. He was one of the. I think he was one of the only generals to not have been defeated in the field. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but it's just, I thought it was just kind of funny that, that the whole, it seemed like a whole setup for Lincoln to pay Kirk a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and and also kind of a root whiskey, setup too. Cause it's I love like the, the whiskey thing. line. Cause it's like Lincoln would have known that Grant wasn't actually like an alcoholic. It was just, yeah. thing, it was just a thing who people who didn't like Grant said. <laughs> yeah. Because I think he got drunk at like one party or something. And then he was, like, he was rather drunk after the battle of, before the battle of Shiloh, which was a battle he won. Before, yeah. wait, no, that makes sense. most people are drunk that during sense. the battle. <laughs> so the fact he wasn't is, in fact, in his favor. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, it's a nice comparison. So yeah, Lincoln goes to try and rescue Sirac, um, and then we find out that um, Sirac is dead, and Kalis can imitate people's voices. I know that that again. That's something I completely forgot in this episode that that they reveal that that Kalis. Uh, the founder of the Klingon Empire is a master ventriloquist and, you know, can impersonate anybody. It's like, like, cry like Ciroc, now do Lincoln, now do Christopher Walken. Like, it was just (laughs) wild, a wild choice. That's why I was exhausted by this episode. I was just like, what are you doing to me, Star Trek? (laughs) So, yeah, Lincoln is dead, which is sad. So then... Kirk, they all fight the evil people, the evil people being evil run away when confronted, and then Kirk kills Colonel Green, because Colonel Green has a stake, and he sort of twists it into his back. Yeah, and shoves him onto it or whatever. Yeah, I think he kills Colonel Green, and then the Scalamans basically go, oh, you know, we've learned that evil runs away when confronted, but you all use the same methods, and Kirk's like, well... You only you gave us the same tools. Yeah, you put us in an arena and you expect us not to each fight. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and then he, his response, the, the mud monster's response is, uh, well, you didn't have to use them. You literally <laughs> told us to use them. And if you don't use them, I will kill your crew. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the, the sort of conclusion here is quite clearly that the Excalibur's design... I think the point here is they are making a point about how, like sensationalized and entertainmentized questions of moral good and evil are kind of a moot point mm-hmm. because you will never actually replicate the terms of which good and evil act. Like Surak's point about if you ask people, eventually people will come around to peace is true in some senses. Mm-hmm. And Kirk's point that you have to fight, you know, as Lincoln says, you have to fight using the same methods as evil to defeat evil as he did realistically to win the civil war is a good point and then kirk's point is how do you expect good to fight when um yeah good is fighting for survival evil is fighting for power of course good will fight like evil does it's, a, it's an actually a really interesting point and it actually and I, I find myself surprised to be appreciating what i thought was a muddled message a little more that kirk's point is you know, if, you're, if we're to take zoom back 30,000 feet of like, what's the point of this episode is basically saying that, that, you know, concepts like good versus evil lack the nuance required to truly understand, you know, a lot of these difficult quandaries that we find ourselves in and the, a lack of nuanced conversation and that sort of binary, uh, you know, sort of choice is in fact a, a false choice. And that's an interesting yeah. Interesting. I don't know if it was executed super well in this episode, but it's an interesting yeah. idea to, to drive 
And that is no. a Star Trek idea saying like, hey, that thing that you thought was just, oh, we have to choose this or that and ignoring that there are thousands of other ways to resolve issues, you know, some uh, on a spectrum of, of, uh, you know, moral kind of ambiguity is an interesting point. Yeah. I think the, the base method being, you know, good men will fight like devils to save others. Bad men will fight like devils to be more powerful. Right. It's a good message. It doesn't mean, you know, it is perhaps an attack on moral equivalence. I was going to ask to what extent you think that actually was the writer's intention or a hacking mistake. I but think we can now that, and find something yeah. good in. I think that there was in especially in that last scene, there is definitely <laughs> a sense in which they want to try and make that point and they want to attack the idea of moral theater. It but it also feels like something that maybe was kind of they 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 it maybe was added on in a in a, a later rewrite or something to try yes, to make yes. sense of everything that they've chosen to do in this episode. <laughs> Uh, because I, I feel like they could have woven that through a little better if they were, but you know, it feels like somebody on the writing staff, I agree, had that, at least had that uh, belief, um, even if they didn't kind of ex- explicate it that well. Yeah, it's, it wasn't a very good, it's, it's a muddled mess. Um, <laughs> the trivia makes it even more clearly a muddled mess. Oh my god, I, I want to hear the trivia. I actually don't know any of the trivia about this episode. So, as I said, um, it was um, originally evolved from his 1964 series proposal, Star Trek Is, titled Mr. Socrates. Um, in the original story outline, which was only fully written in 1968, featured Socrates visiting the Enterprise along with Lincoln and then participating in the fight on the planet's surface. In this version, Sirach was called Lvov, as in the, the city in Eastern Europe, and the good team also featured a recreation of a 1970s flower power guru named Pon. It's important to realize that Gene Roddenberry hated hippies <laughs> with a passion. Well, he succeeded in putting that philosophy into me with Way to Eden. Yeah, yeah. I also hate hippies now. <laughs> the evil team consisted of Mr. Green, a late 20th century Earth dictator. Are you ready, everyone? Adolf Hitler. Oh, and wow. Attila the Hun amongst us. God, I fear it. <laughs> Similarly to Bread and, Bread and Circuses, Roddenberry originally attended the episode to be in part a sour commentary on present-day network television. The huh. Excaliburns used their stage dramas of recreative figures confronting each other as a means of entertainment and of education for their population, who all became dependent on these stage plays as their sole means of gaining knowledge and entertaining themselves. Wow, because so, I did notice there was a stretch in the middle where the, the Enterprise crew kind of just gave up and just started sitting and watching this play out. like arena. Yeah, <laughs> but the, but like literally the view screen becomes a television and they're just, and even with like camera angle cuts and stuff like it's a they're watching an episode of Star Trek on the bridge of the Enterprise and I, that totally tracks, I think, at least. With uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. So the writers, Arthur Heinemann and Fred Freiberger and Arthur Singer, the star three writes basically abandoned this whole thing. Mm. Yeah. So the first choice for Lincoln was Mark Leonard. Who's as this? in um Sarek and the Romulan commander how interesting oh. basically so would, would he have played a third character no he would have been Lincoln instead but I mean in in, in addition to playing Sarek yeah. and okay yeah oh that would have been distracting <laughs> yeah he was meant to do it because he was on a tv show called here come the brides where he played the resident bad guy and the Lincoln segment was filmed around Christmas time and he thought he could film it in the hiatus but they had to move it back so he couldn't do it. I, I will say, I feel like the guy who played Lincoln did a pretty good job. I thought, yeah. you know, for, for given the material that he was, you know, I, I, I believed that that Lincoln thought he was Lincoln. Um, a good ma- Lincoln. Yeah, even if the makeup was not great. I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, who was it? It was guest star. It was Lee Berger, mm-hmm. who was best. He was on Dynasty in the 80s with Joan Collins. But yeah. So the episode has a lot of really baffling, confusing um, continuity stuff. <laughs> so Lincoln, Scotty talks about Lincoln having died three centuries ago, which implies a mid-22nd century setting. <laughs> and then Kirk refers to Colonel Green's 21st century life as being century. And then Lincoln asks Kirk if they still measure time in minutes, to which Kirk replies they can convert to them. And then Spock also later implies that they don't use the mile or the <laughs> foot or the inch. Ever? Like I, can imagine, context? I can, like I can imagine them switching off the metric system, but minutes? No. You have a ship's chronometer. You have a ship's chronometer. 
you've had it since season one. It's appeared on yeah. screen like twenty times. Yeah, because future because future Star Trek does just they just use the metric system usually yeah. like kilometers, meters, whatever. You tend um, to you get a lot of miles, feet, and inches in TOS. But but I you know it doesn't make any sense. But I will say that was one moment where I kind of liked where he pulls out a pocket watch. He's like, "Do you still use minutes?" And, then, <laughs> and, and, and he's like, "I'll I'll you'll be over my coordinates in about oh, 12 minutes or so. See you there." Yes. No, it was I kind of liked it, even though it made zero sense. It was fun, yeah. Um, so Kalos and Sirak, you know, the fans of the races, are the last appearances of Vulcans and Klingons in the original series as guests. I don't want them to have that send-off. I feel bad for both of them. <laughs> it is also Nick Jashel Nicole's last appearance in Star Trek. Wait, really? This is her last? Like, she just yeah, she's not in any... all that. Hey, no! In all no, in the show, yeah, because the next episode is All Our Yesterdays. So her and last the episode scene... after that is Turnabout Intruder. Her last scene was that scene. Yes. Are you kidding me? Yes, it was. <laughs> the Charlotte Cole's last scene. Whoever's responsible. Star Trek original series. How dare they do that? How I'm, I'm, dare glad they? She, I'm glad that she came back for the movies because I feel like they yeah. her character was way better in the movies. Um, I missed five seconds ago when I didn't know that, John. I will forever hold that against you. Um, <laughs> yeah, also Colonel Green is the last person to die in Star Trek. In, no oh, in, the, in the original series. I was going to say, those people series. die all over the place. In yeah, the this is the last, he's the last person to die in the original series. Because huh. no one dies in All Our Yesterdays, and all the deaths in Turnabout and Tuna happen off screen before the episodes start. So yeah, there's a lot of lasts in this. It's also the last time the dress uniforms appear. Oh no, now that's the true tragedy. Yeah, I do <laughs> love it. I love the TOS dress uniforms. They've got a nice high collar and the medals. If you play, I always I love like... The, I like the just like random gems that they put on scattered at seemingly random patterns. So amazing. So camp. I love it. Well, it's like, I do like, because they're obviously trying to emulate like metal ribbons. So you yeah. don't wear the full metal, you the ribbon. But they're like, how do you make it futuristic? And someone triangles. Because <laughs> then you have that, the Kurt just wears a standard medal. Yeah. Yeah. Standard medal and just bedazzling yeah. is the key. But yeah. Um, Leonard Nimoy did not think highly of this episode in 2012, saying, that really didn't work well, as I recall. It was an interesting attempt that really did not come to life, like, four score and seven years. Which, um, I think it's a Twilight Zone episode or something? I'm just... That sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. But yeah, that's Savage Curtain. It, it, was, it is quite clearly a bit of a mess of an episode. It's extremely underwhelming and overall depressing. That's some fun stuff. I like boats with whistles. Yeah. And, you know, for all of its tragedies and missteps, just being able to say whenever someone says, you know, Star Trek is built on logic and like there was an episode that had a giant Lincoln in space. Like it's a nice to arm, <laughs> have that armed that like, you know, there is room for fantasy and weirdness at, at the very least, as bad as this episode is. Yeah, I mean, like Star Trek is weirdness, you know, I, I pity... Yeah. Within the universe, I pity the clerk at Starfleet headquarters who has to like read the reports that get he gets back. It's like Space Lincoln. <laughs> okay. Okay, when he gets back, we're gonna ask him about this. And he's okay. like, I, it's all in the log. <laughs> There's not really much more to say about it. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, we'll, we'll ask Mr. Scott. And Scotty's just like, Yep, we met Lincoln. I don't want to tell you guys. We just met Lincoln. <laughs> it's like that Weird. bit at the beginning of season three of Discovery where the crew gets interviewed and they're all just like, yeah, this dumb shit happened to us. And everyone's just kind of like, well, they're all telling the same story. <laughs> no, but the weirdness is like 90% of the reason I love Star Trek. That's why I was so ready to add this to my personal Hall of Fame. Yeah, me too. And then it's just like some stuff that I just completely had blocked out of my, my mental brain. And then I was just like, oof, it just kind of yeah be done. <laughs> so yeah olivia now we are at this point of desperation i do have to ask you are you going to quit the savage curtain i have to have closure but i i quit from the exact moment where it lincoln appears on screen as soon as that happens he's there in his full glory i quit and then i don't see the rest of the episode that's it's the best part of the episode <laughs> I think, to be honest Everything up to when he says what he says is good. 
it's a compelling mystery. How did how did Lincoln appear in space? I want to know. How are they going to justify this? <laughs> and they kind of don't. Even <laughs> don't. They kind of like, I guess Kirk imagined him into existence. Kirk just loves him. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you imagine him into existence, Olivia? Murph. <laughs> how, how do you think Murph would do in a battle between good and evil? Murph, you know, Murph on one side, Gene Roddenberry on the, side on the of other. Good. Don't defame Murph. Murph I would knows ar- what's up. <laughs> I would argue Murph is probably the, the greatest red shirt ever because he can't be killed. Exactly. He's out there. It's, it's slight comedic relief. On the I do table. have to actually ask, Anne, whose idea was it to go, what if, our, what if Murph swallowed a grenade? Who's, who was that? I mean, that was my episode, so it was me. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was something i think right at the last minute uh you know we were like you know what i feel like we're kind of missing we need to establish murph as indestructible and we're kind of missing a little mini storyline for rock and murph and then i was like what if murph just stress ate some photon grenades <laughs> and that feels like you could tell that story in a setup payoff um yeah murph does nothing like we see photon grenades get used once in star trek and they blow up a mountain like Kirk <laughs> fires them at the Gorn and it destroys an entire Gorn like strike force. I think you see them a couple other times, like obliquely mentioned as like like modified photon grenades as like traps and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh these are the just like how you can have type one phasers. I imagine these are type one photon grenades that, that are more just a not they they're, not they're, they're not they're not personal atomic weapons. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Yeah, that was my favorite piece of Murph content. Just warrior <laughs> grenade. That was good. <laughs> yeah. We do have to do the final, the final rating, Olivia. Must we? Would you like to introduce it to the objecting um, Aaron to this? <laughs> Trip nips, as many of you know, is the scale from which an episode is cursed. But does this episode fit the trip nips scale? Is like, it trip nippable? Is it, it cursed is like sort of funny, sort of like. It's, I think the word I usually use to describe it is deranged. Like it's not, yeah. it could be deranged in a good way or deranged in a bad way, but either way, it's trip-nippable. <laughs> um, you see, I think it is because the Excalibur, the Excalibur concept is deranged in a good way. Space Lincoln, deranged in a good way. Everything that to me could fit on the trip scale was what I liked about the episode. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the problem. Is that everything that's deranged enough to get triplets is also good. So it, in that fact, doesn't get a triplet. It's a loophole. <laughs> zero trip. Somehow this episode, we quit this episode, but it has <laughs> zero triplets. That is that is part of it. We should like we should do a little scale at the end of the year of how how, how it averaged out. Yeah, yeah. I have to go back and listen to all the episodes. We're gonna start next episode. Well, we'll start it from twenty twenty two. We'll make it next. Oh, you know what? I'll make it now. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I can't believe it survived the triplet scale. The Savage Curtain. Did it break the triplet scale? Is that what happened? Well, did you want to give it any triplets? <laughs> I, I I honestly don't know because it's like it's it's deranged in equally good and bad ways. Is is it a cop out to say five? Like it's just it's created this suspension of where it, it doesn't mean anything. I think five. I was going to give it three. I okay. Think. Olivia's giving it zero. Yeah, you guys can do your average. So, so the the average, I guess, would be eight, two and a half, or three. Between yeah, two and a half. Yeah, that's not too bad. It survived. Survive the three triplets. <laughs> if you just continue to have selective amnesia, <laughs> then maybe you can watch it. Well, you, you require a lot of selective amnesia to watch like TOS. I watched Air Under Mercy recently. You just need a lot of collective amnesia to, you know. It's the only way to stay sane, and that's fine. <laughs> that's why we quit. It's cathartic. It's, 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 it's how we sustain the collective amnesia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds <laughs> curtain. <laughs> so I'll take a quiet moment. Quite <laughs> <emerging> <laughs> we went to a dark space. Yeah, while I deal with that, do you have anything to plug to the listeners, Aaron, apart from watching Star Trek Prodigy, which I hope they're all doing? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the main thing, I think, is, uh, you know, Star Trek Prodigy is on Paramount Plus, coming to Nickelodeon shortly thereafter. Uh, you know, UK, I think, is getting access to Paramount Plus this year. So hopefully there can be a legal way to watch it very soon. Yeah. I, 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 as if anyone's wondering, me and Olivia are currently both living in the United States. So don't worry. 
Okay, yeah, good. For Don't sure. worry. Definitely in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that'd be the main thing. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, uh, go back and watch the other Star Trek shows too, because they're, you know, hit or miss. They, you know, they, they're a part of our collective unconscious now. And they, I think they still have something to give us. You can quit Star Trek, but pick it back up on the next episode. Yeah, that's the most important rule. If you quit, make sure you come back and do it again next week. <laughs> and um yeah if you've liked this um you know follow us on quit star quit, quit star trek pod on twitter or email us at iquitstartrek at gmail.com we do read those uh, emails will be, will be answered within the year <laughs> <laughs> within, within three to four working years um or um don't forget that's our t public store all proceeds from that go to the trevor project lgbt youth charity you know, we love a we love a good trip shirt or a jeans vision shirt. We need to work on some more merch actually. I need to go find some more cursed stuff to make people wear. I'm still looking into making trip stickers. You can we... stick you can stick or like p- temporary tattoos. God no, temporary <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> I quit the podcast. <laughs> your patchy <laughs> first. <laughs> I can't have that negative karma on my conscience. <laughs> I know people. There are at least three people who have asked for this. Oh God! What have we done? We've done God's work. Yeah. Um. Thank you so much, Aaron. This has been extremely fun. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's uh, I, it's helped you. me kind of process some things. I think be able to talk about this. So I appreciate. It's like, it. I could. We consider this show. It's like therapy for trackies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who like this. This this franchise is excellent. Everything's about it great, and they come on this podcast and they get to go. You know what? fucking sucks sometimes and that's great that's fine let it out tell us all about how much you didn't like masks it's a safe space okay actually don't tell me about that because masks was art it was high art until next time don't brown lincoln up bye